0: The dysfunctions and coping mechanisms that we embrace to try to still the storm inside are part of what eventually break us. But Jesus didn't come simply to deal with that. I think dysfunctional behavior and sin is, if you will, a symptom of something much deeper and that we need to work at what's much deeper. Welcome to the Renovare Podcast,
1: a place for honest and unhurried conversations about interactive life with God. I'm Nathan Foster, and our guest today is an extraordinary person, Terry Wardle. Terry's written a number of books. He's a founder of Healing Care Ministries and professor emeritus at Ashland Theological Seminary. I spoke with Terry from his home in Ohio. Terry, I'm really curious to hear a little about your story.
0: Well... At my age, that covers an awful lot of years, but I would begin with the fact that I was raised in a very blue collar, non-Christian environment. And uh, very early in my life, I experienced a series of significant traumas. Uh, And those traumas really predisposed me to a tremendous degree of anxiety and avoidance behaviors. And as I began to grow, and certainly my parents didn't understand any of that, they just saw me, my dad actually called me a weenie and my my mother said <laughs> I was nothing but a nervous child. But what I had experienced traumatically had left me with that sense that the world was absolutely not safe. And if I'm not hypervigilant, it's going to somehow consume me. And by the time I became a teenager, I found that certain behaviors would still that storm but it would still that storm in very negative ways. So I did things that teenagers do to act out and to try to kill pain. But in my uh, last semester of my college experience, because of friendships with people that were deep believers at that particular college, I came to the point in my own darkness and brokenness that I knew I needed more. And the Lord just met me. and. It was a profound experience of his presence and his forgiveness. And from there, my friends were absolutely aghast that I decided I wanna serve the Lord the rest of my life. They would have never expected that. And so I began that pilgrimage to become a seminarian, uh, to uh, pastor a church possibly, and to make the long story come to a point is I became very successful early on in ministry, but I had never dealt with the unresolved emotional baggage of the past. So I was always living a very performance-dominated life, achieving through the grid of anxiety and despair. And at a time... When people probably would have thought I have really reached the pinnacle of success, having planted a church that grew tremendously and authored a book or two and had been the head of a seminary, I had a very, very significant emotional breakdown. And I actually ended up in Cedar Springs Psychiatric Hospital, right in Colorado Springs. And the baggage that I had unknowingly been carrying behind me in all my relationships and all my work had finally just Unloaded around me, and I didn't know how to handle it. And I needed significant care. And I got some good care uh, there at Cedar Springs. But one of the things that was frustrating for me is that I gained a greater understanding of how someone could become messed up like I was. But I didn't understand, I didn't necessarily feel that I had engaged the Lord in those places in such a way that I could be free. And it was after the psychiatric hospital that I, very frustrated, went up to the mountains in California to try to gain some sense of uh, stability that I, I was honest with God. And I said, I'm tired of reading scripture. I'm tired of memorizing facts. I don't have anything else that I can do. Eventually, I opened my Bible to the story of Jesus in Gethsemane and something grabbed me. And I realized that when Jesus was at his worst, the father didn't give him a scripture but he gave him an encounter. And that's what I began to pray about is I need an encounter, but I need an encounter in today that is somehow going to address the unresolved and unrepaired ruptures of the past. And that's when the Lord led me on a pilgrimage of integrating theology and behavioral science and neuroscience to better understand my own journey. And as I began to experience some aspects of this healing, other people began to ask questions and out of that uh, a new ministry came and there's you know a hundred different avenues from that story that i could go on as <laughs> to uh how god met me a couple of things em- emerge for me terry
1: one is how um when there's a pressure in our life uh there's a potential gift because we break right mm-hmm. like you, the growth and the ministry and such um we would How do you look back on that in terms of here everything's going well, but yet you broke? Do you find
0: yourself grateful for that? I do, but I need to balance that. I I, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, a verse out of First Thessalonians where Paul talks about uh, suffering and joy being, you know, coupled. And so I look back at that, and I, I remember that it was a very, very difficult time. It cost me ministries. It cost me relationships. Um, it was very hard on my family. And yet out of that, just as Paul talks about, out of that weakness, as you cry out from God, suddenly the Lord birthed something that I would have never dreamed possible, which is the ministry I'm engaged in today. Do you know, Nathan, that when I was in the psychiatric hospital, I was only maybe seven miles from the national headquarters of the organization I had served and not one person came down to visit me there. And there was, there's was a good reason why, and that was because it wasn't within their frame of reference to understand how to deal with something that dark. And I remember one of them even wrote me a letter and said, here's $50, buy yourself some shoes so that you could feel better. And, and it, it caused me to realize the degree to which the church was not able to understand the unresolved emotional woundings of the past that can lead to tremendous degree of either disorder or, if you will, distortion of the way we see ourselves, God, and other people. So out of that comes this new ministry. So I'm very grateful. Everything I do today, if you're going to draw a line, it's going to go right back to there. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, God has that ability. I I was just reading the other day, I think it's in um, Genesis chapter 41, verse 52, possibly, where Joseph talks about being fruitful in the land of his suffering. And here I am now, I have this ability to lead a wonderful group of highly educated and highly committed people as we position broken folks to have encounters with Christ in it all goes back to that place, that moment, that darkness, that brokenness. And uh, I don't think I have the wherewithal to do it, but I've always threatened I'd like to write a book on ditch theology because (laughs) I've met Jesus more in the ditch than I ever have on the Mount of Transfiguration. And I think there's a lot of people in ditches today of emotional wounding and baggage that do not understand that Jesus is right there wanting to meet them and wanting to bring transformation to their lives. It requires a
1: certain level of fortitude, strength in the ditch to I mean, we have choices in the ditch, right? But to to be willing to go to look at oneself with God. Um, would you agree
0: that there's a there's a strength that that, that that requires? I do believe it's a strength. There's a strength. And I'm going to suggest that one of the sources of that strength is a community that understands the nature of the dark night of the soul and how God meets us there. And I think what made it more difficult for me in the context in which I was serving was there was very little understanding of not only the psychological factors that come to play with unresolved emotional wounding, but how God meets us in those times. People would ask me questions when I was getting ill. Uh, what's, is there sin in your life? Well, part of me is, well, of course there's sin in my life. There's always <laughs> sin in our lives. Uh, what did God tell you to do that you haven't done? you follow They're They're, they're trying, trying to find this quick fix rather than understanding that there is something very formative in the midst of this experience. And where strength comes is obviously in your previous walk with the lord to allow him to form you but also with a community that understands this aspect of the christian journey i would i would argue that for many people particularly i would say in the evangelical world the map through suffering is not well etched it's something that people think you need to get out of rather than recognizing that god has a purpose there Mm.
1: What would you like to see the church do or become uh, in terms of spaces that can handle brokenness or have a, uh, a word in suffering?
0: Well, th- there are several things that come to mind very quickly. Um, one of them is our ability to look at Scripture and see that The idea of being formed through scripture is not foreign to the word of God, it's foundational to the word of God. Romans five talks about being formed in the midst of difficulty. It's also in um, the book of Hebrews, it's in the book of James. And I think it's something that we need to be able to help people see that there is a theology of glory in which God comes and he does these wonderful acts of deliverance and provision, but there is also a story of the theology of the cross where in the midst of suffering, we begin to experience a a new drive towards Jesus, a, a, a new formation of our lives. I think it's instructive, too, that in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, where it talks about all these great men and women of faith, there's this section toward the end that it then talks about another group of people that weren't delivered, those that were beaten, those that were rejected it. And, and then it says this, they are complimented, if you will, for their faith, but they did not receive what they had hoped for. They received something that was even better. And, and I think that what that's trying to say to us is that in the midst of my own journey, for example, as much as I would have liked to have left that journey and gone back to peace, God was doing something in me that was even better than that drawing me closer to him, dealing with the unresolved baggage of the past, forming us into the likeness of Jesus. And I think the church has to be willing to talk about that. I think another thing is we've got to become a safe place. And I think there are a lot of us that are afraid to even talk about our issues for fear. People are going to come and ask us about what sin are we committing and so forth. And then I would, you said it, but I'm going to just say legitimate fear. (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But, but you said something else that I think I want to just go further on. And that is the dysfunctions and coping mechanisms that we embrace to try to still the storm inside are part of what eventually break us. But Jesus didn't come simply to deal with that. I think dysfunctional behavior and sin is, if you will, a symptom of something much deeper and that we need to work at what's much deeper. That's
1: right. We
0: need to find what are the lies? What are the wounds? What is the ungrieved loss? And so here's an individual that might have this addictive behavior or a dependency or a performance orientation. And we wanna tell them how that's not a good thing to do, but do we allow ourselves to have time to go beneath that on a journey of descent to find what's driving it in the first place? Is there ungrieved loss? Then let's sit with someone and help them lament. Is there a false belief that was shaped by deep wounding episodes? If so, let's get them in the presence of Jesus to hear the truth. Is there a wound of rejection, of abandonment, of abuse? If so, let's bring them to the healer. And I I think there's just too much attention given to let's get rid of the sin and not enough as to what drives it. You know, um, I'm sure you know this, Nathan, but St. Ignatius once made a comment. I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like this um, The evil one does not hit you at your sin, he hits you at your weakness because he knows that your weakness is what drives the sin. So if somebody's longing for love, if they're longing for significance, uh, if they're in deep pain, that's where the evil one hits, right there. Not trying to talk us into a particular sin, but to let that pain rise up to when we act. And then we reap what we sow in that this coping mechanism or this dysfunctional behavior actually begins to break us.
1: One of the statements I've carried through the years that I'd be curious about your opinion on is uh, we can only take people as far as we've been. Mm-hmm. And my reference in that is people in ministry that if they've not been willing... you. Know, to go to some of these places, and it's not that we stay there, right, but mm. but being willing and having the courage to be honest about some of this stuff. But we, we can't take people there if
0: we haven't been there ourselves. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. Uh, and Nathan, I think what you're emphasizing is so critical because the Christian life is a journey. And the journey has landscape from mountain peaks to deep valleys, rocky crags, to beautiful meadows. It's a journey. And that I think sometimes we don't understand the journey motif of Christian growth. And as a result, we're not encouraging and applauding people to keep moving forward, to not lose hope, and to recognize that God is there with us. And so I I absolutely believe that I can only lead people to the degree that I've allowed myself to be led.
1: Do you walk with a limp?
0: Oh, absolutely. I probably would say, well, two things. One one of my limps certainly was to live for a long, long time with an anxiety disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder from very significant childhood trauma. Uh, My grandfather died at my feet very violently. And I have several other of those. Things. And that happened when I was five years old. And I have several other things. So yeah, that, that was part of the limp. And then I've been, if you will, given the gift of a new limp over the last year and a half. I've been diagnosed with a degenerative neurological problem. And so now I need to meet the Lord in the day-to-day of that. And I think that's one of the reasons that I really think it's critical for me and for other people to recognize that God is not distant from suffering. There is no throwaway suffering, that when we surrender in the midst of it, God can do something very exciting. I'm sure you're aware in The Problem of Pain, where C.S. Lewis, he, he kind of makes these four statements. He says there's, there's something called um, simple good. We experience it every day in love and in, in, in the joys of life. There's simple evil. And then he makes this third point. He says, But God loves to exploit evil for his children that surrender. That's point three. To number four, lead us into complex good. And I think I'm experiencing the fact that, yeah, I wish I had another journey. Uh, as no one would have said, I'm on a journey not of my own choosing right now. But as I press my face into the Lord and recognize that he can use this and allow him to choose. Suddenly, a complex good emerges that is something that I would have never anticipated. Possibly it's the way my family attends to me or the way my friends care or the insights I'm able to have when helping others. And all of that is part of what God's about as we begin to embrace this idea that people have a limp. Uh, to use a metaphor of dance, I think there are certain dances you cannot do with the Lord unless you have a limp. And that all of a sudden with that, we enter a new ecstatic dance with the Trinity because we have a greater understanding of this issue of pain, suffering, and healing that God wants to bring us. Have you found in your own life and in
1: working with others that um, in the suffering, in the the ditch, um, that what often emerges in the healing is something beyond what you or others can comprehend or imagine,
0: that it's mm-hmm. different and wonderful in, in ways that we can't see. Uh, it, it is. If we can remember that in these places, we have to hold joy in one hand and suffering in the other. There you go um because if we just hold one of them they take us into a very unhealthy place if we fail to grieve our losses if we fail to talk honestly about the struggle we're having if we fail to shed the tear over what it is that we are presently walking through it it will eventually repress ourselves down into a depression and a despair that we'll have trouble getting out of it but if it's all joy 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 <laughs> um It becomes saccharine sweet, and people don't—they don't really buy the message, you know, because they see us walking away with a limp, and yet we're trying to pretend like we're totally whole, and they can see the, if you will, the, uh, the contradiction there. Yeah, and and I think today in this world, especially post-COVID or still-COVID world, there has to be an honesty about the nature of struggle, uh, an honesty about how God does come in some circumstances and he really delivers people and he heals them. And I've experienced it in my own life and it's been wonderful, but there's also this other kind of grace that comes to us in disguise. I've thought of Paul, Nathan, you know, here he sees these miracles that God's working through him He talks about how the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. So you see this power dynamic that's present in his whole kingdom metaphor. And then all of a sudden he has a struggle. And don't you think he was kind of thinking maybe initially, God, let's work that power dynamic on me. And and the Lord basically says this, I I have a different kind of grace for you. (laughs) See, it'll be a grace in disguise. It's not the grace that sweeps over you and sets you free. It's the grace that will form you in the midst of weakness. And I need you to surrender into that. And I think there is a history of folks since Christ that can show us this is a reality. And the church needs to come back to that question to make room for this. A theology of glory where God comes in and does amazing things, which I see all the time, in the inner healing of folks that are broken, but also a theology of the cross that reminds us that God does shape us through suffering.
1: You mentioned community earlier. What What is the role of community in this?
0: As as soon as you mentioned that, uh, my mind goes to um, the teachings of Clark Pinnock. He wrote a wonderful book called The Flame of Love on the Spirit. And he said this, now I am paraphrasing, but each of these phrases come right from him, that God has called us to be a colony of heaven that experiences a perpetual Pentecost so that we can participate in the mission of God, which is to turn that which is ugly into that which is beautiful. And, and these four movements, a colony of heaven living under the, you know, now and not yet. They get to reach out to all these broken people and call forth the beauty of how Christ has uh, endowed them. Let me come all the way back that community then becomes foundational to that. Jesus talked about in John 13, I think it is uh, that. How we love one another is how people even see us as his. And Jesus did things in community and he wanted community. It was just this morning, I was thinking again about the persistence of Jesus in community, in that he's in Gethsemane and he wants his community to support him. And three times he goes to them. And there was a persistence there that said to me, community is important. Uh we're not going to get through this alone. It's some days when I'm alive and excited and the consolation of God's light is flowing through. Maybe you can come behind and and you know catch the draft. But maybe tomorrow I need to catch your draft. I need to be able to get inspired again by what you're experiencing. And that only happens in community. I think many of us as Christians have mistaken. Or don't understand the difference between isolation and solitude. And solitude always moves us toward community. Isolation moves us away. That's good. I've always found it interesting and helpful that
1: in in the garden that Jesus was willing to confront. There's a vulnerability of, guys, I need you. You know, don't let me down here. Uh, I I love that because many of us are not comfortable or going there. I'm curious when you were in the hospital you got some shoes that's nice <laughs> what would you what would have been helpful from your friends there what could they have done during that time
0: well before i talk about my friends that were on the outside let me say something about the friends that were on the inside i was in a unit where there were about a dozen other adults like myself for various reasons needing to spend an inpatient season in a psychiatric hospital. And one of the most sustaining experiences I had there was that at the end of every day, when we were done with our psychodrama and our uh, meeting with a psychiatrist and our meeting with our social worker or our counselor, we would sit on couches and we would talk and we would share and we would cry. And in a book I wrote a number of years ago, uh, i Ended up saying, I think that was my first genuine experience of Christian community because there was no judgment. I mean, how do you pretend when you're in a psychiatric hospital? I mean, you, you just can't pretend. You've got to be vulnerable, and thank God that vulnerability was met with grace. There was no judgment because certainly I didn't want to judge someone else because I certainly didn't want them judging me in the midst of my pain. So, with that, what about people on the outside? I think. I think empathy, you know, coming and, you know, one of the things that I I experience from people is someone's hurting and the first thing they want to do is give them advice when that's not the first thing people want. They don't want advice. They want empathy. They want to look into your eyes. They want to see your facial expression and in the tone of your voice that I'm here. I care. I'm attuned to you. And I came to give you comfort and hope. And that's what I needed, but I don't think the church was prepared for that. Well, let's say my church, my context. Um, yeah, I, I would say that people in our church looked at each other more as scenery or machinery. You know, look how many people are here and they're dressed nice and aren't they wonderful and machinery? How many of you are helping out with the big cause? But not a lot of us were relating in a vulnerability and grace that enabled us to really have a true, genuine connection. And I think that would have been more helpful, which is part of what we now try to provide in our ministry. And I'm sure you're doing the same in your ministry is how to get people to come and all of a sudden they feel loved, they're attuned to, they care for them. I I think that's critical. What I find helpful in what you're saying is this does not necessarily
1: require skill uh it requires showing up absolutely being being human with another could you share a little about the work you're doing there with healing care ministries
0: i'd be thrilled to share uh we've been active now for 20 years and our fundamental mission is to position broken people for transforming encounters with christ and we have a staff that is comprised of counselors Formational prayer caregivers. And a lot of individuals come from all over the country and some from around the world, and they'll spend a week with us or two weeks with us, and they receive intensive care. They get love, they get empathy, they get compassion. They also are positioned before the Lord to let the Lord come in and meet them in the unresolved emotional baggage of the past. And even as we're speaking, up at our center, which we purchased this year. Uh, we have individuals that have traveled in and they'll be meeting with uh, these folks. And uh, it's it's a wonderful experience. But we also do equipping seminars. We have uh, ways that we equip caregivers, caregivers and counselors to be effective in healing prayer, in emotional healing prayer. We also have a spiritual direction certificate. And then we go out and do seminars here and there. I've done I think for 10 years, I've done at least one every year in Colorado Springs, and that's for people to come and experience refreshing and get the news of God's love and get their identity in Christ, and that's part of what we do, and I'm grateful that I'm even able to be part of it. Sometimes I just stand back and wonder, how did I get to do this? You know, uh, if life were like math, things should add up. You can't look at my life and see it add up to where I am today. That's where the intersection of grace comes. And we're having a, a good response. And even my most recent writing, I also am trying to present material that says to people that God is for them. He loves them. He wants to meet them in their pain. He wants to form them into the likeness of Christ and that we are his beloved and I hope from now until I'm, you know, with the Lord that I have an opportunity to say this good word for Jesus,
1: Terry. This is this is good. I'm glad to meet you and, and hear from you. As we close, I'm curious if you'd be willing to share what was your encounter that you had with Jesus those many years ago? Are we talking about uh, the healing encounter or mm, yes. me coming to Christ? Uh, the healing encounter, yeah. Encu- the point where you said. I don't need more uh, information. I, I need an encounter.
0: What did that look like? Well, first, it was like a giant light went off on side of me because I was getting very frustrated with Scripture. I was embracing Scripture as information, as concepts, but it wasn't just draining into the core of who I was. And so when when I saw this, in scripture and I begin to say oh god this is what I need I need an encounter with you I could feel myself just weeping as though a breakthrough had occurred and and with that I became if you will compelled to ask this question if god can meet me here in this moment can he meet me back there when I was a little boy watching my grandfather die at my feet, or when I was being beaten down the steps with a stick or whatever it might be. And that sent me on a journey. Uh, And it was interesting. It began with a guy named Endel Tolving, who was a psychiatrist who said that people have the ability to be mental time travelers and that we can go back to these moments and re-experiencing them. And, and, And I began to invite Jesus there. And now many, many times the Lord has come into the unresolved unrepaired ruptures of my past and he has met me there and i've realized that i don't want a transactional relationship with god i want a relationship with god i don't want to find a formula that if i do these two things he does this i want a living relationship and that's been the most profound piece of this entire journey terry thank you
1: for your time and showing up your ministry these years
0: Thank you for what you're doing. And what a joy that we get to share time around the name of our Lord Jesus.
1: Again, that was Terry Wardle. You can learn more about Terry, his ministry, and his writing at terrywardle.com. That's T-E-R-R-Y-W-A-R-D-L-E.com. You also want to be sure to check out his work with Healing Care Ministries. That's at healingcare.org healingcare.org. I'm Nathan Foster, and you've been listening to the Renovare podcast. I'm grateful to all of you who helped make this work possible. You can support Renovare in this podcast with a tax-deductible gift at renovare.org slash donate. Renovare is a Christian ecumenical renewal effort, offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus you can find a collection of thoughtfully curated articles, podcasts, webinars, online classes, as well as information on events in our institute on our website at renovare.org. This podcast is produced by Brian Moricon, who also wrote the opening song titled Be Kind. And until next time, be well, friends, be well.